Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next 50 years. Check out our website and thought leadership at biotech2050.com. I'm today's host, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, and we're a secure content platform focused on key global industries. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Bidorf and Don Dickison of the Advancing Drug Development Forum to talk a little bit about the innovations that are happening in advanced manufacturing, as well as continuous manufacturing, and how innovation is brought to the table inside a fairly conservative pharmaceutical industry. Kevin is currently a senior consultant, and Don is a pharmaceutical executive. Thanks so much for being with us today, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. So, you know, maybe to kick us off, would love it if you guys could give us a quick intro on yourselves and your background, and we can go from there. Kevin? Hi, uh, Kevin Bidorf. I've been with uh, companies like Perigo. We went to Vertex Pharmaceuticals, where I did a lot of different innovations, including continuous manufacturing and PAT. From there, I went to Living Proof, where I decided to dabble in a, a little bit of personal care, hair care, and skin care, which was a, a lot of fun. But after that, I decided to co-found my own company called Trek Therapeutics, we were looking at developing treatments for hepatitis C for emerging markets. And there I was the, the head of business development, head of um, CMC, and I also did a lot of IP work with them as well. From there, I uh, decided to go break out on my own and um, I'm a senior consultant. I have uh, about five different clients where I do a mix of different bringing in innovations and uh, a lot of formulation development work and some business development work as well. Cool. Thank you. And Don Dickerson, I'm a 25-year pharmaceutical executive, various roles from large companies, Eli Lilly, for 15 years to the smallest of small. My last company was Juniper Pharmaceuticals. We were a CDMO. We were a $4 million company and grew that rather significantly over a three-and-a-half-year period to the point where we were recently purchased by Catalent. And so as an executive with that group, I am now on vacation as of mm-hmm. about three weeks ago. Cool. And looking and working towards my next business oh, opportunity. Awesome. Well, really glad to have you guys on the show and, and uh, would love to learn a little bit about some of the work that is ongoing in the industry in the context of manufacturing, especially as we look at how that discipline has changed over the past 10 to 20 years. There's obviously been a lot of introduction of outsourcing into this domain, as well as new modalities from ADCs to biologics to cell therapies. So, you know, I'm curious to hear from your perspective and maybe, Kevin, given your scientific background, what you're sort of seeing as trends in modern manufacturing in pharmaceutical environments. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The uh, pharmaceutical innovation is becoming coming to the more and more of the forefront. The FDA is now allowing people to become a lot more innovative. Back when I started in the 2000s, I, I did my first pharmaceutical plant tour, and it was like I was in 1970s or 50s technology. And I grew up in uh, Alberta, Canada with the oil industry. And a lot of people don't realize how innovative the oil industry is in manufacturing. The, the lean manufacturing, the experienced manufacturing, the continuous processing that was brought to the oil industry. And along with that real-time release, so going from initial raw materials to a final product in a pipeline out to their next customer. So I thought in those early days is what can be done with the pharmaceutical industry. And through the years, it's like looking at real-time release, real-time measurement was the, was the start of it. And that was the early 2000s. And then coming through the years and through working with the FDA and having the ability to show them manufacturing does make a difference. The innovations in manufacturing relate to better product quality for the patients. So with that is looking at continuous manufacturing, where you're constantly measuring the product that's coming out. Mm -hmm. The ability to um, 
manufacture material on demand as well are our key innovations in, in continuous manufacturing. But with that is how to do it from a, a pharmaceutical side. Mm-hmm. And it's bringing not only the, the mentality, the scientific mentality change, but the business case associated with continuous manufacturing mm-hmm. is we've done batch manufacturing in pharma for decades, but why now continuous? And, and, and showing not only the business case, the quality case for the patients, and the, the speed to development in the market was important. Mm. Now, in the context of continuous specifically, of the modalities that are now popular in terms of pharmaceuticals, where do you see it having the most amount of relevance today? There's two areas that has the most amount of relevance. One of them is for very large-scale manufacturing, when you're dealing with tons or megatons of material. So there's going to be a lot of indications coming in the, in the future. Alzheimer's is a big one where they're, they're going to see a lot. Uh, continuous manufacturing has been uh, applied somewhat in the past to, say, an, an ibuprofen as well, because that's a very mass-marketed thing. But as well as for even orphan indications, where they don't have a lot of drug supply, where you just want to manufacture small amounts at a time. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to, to measure immediately and know the, the quality of the product, it gives you assurance that you're producing a good product and you're not failing batches, where the amount of the active pharmaceutical ingredient is small or the API is small. So it gives you the opportunity to develop that process mm-hmm. with small amounts of material that can actually be scaled from that early development all the way through to commercial manufacturing. Now, in that scenario, as you start to look at the API specifically or the types of processes or steps that go into manufacturing said compound, can you help us understand the parameter landscape or the parameter space within which continuous becomes the more optimal manufacturing technique compared to, say, batch? Yeah, no, it, it, it all depends on your view of uh, continuous. Mm-hmm. I look at continuous as it's most optimal for extremely large volumes from a, a cost perspective, where you're doing with tons or multiple tons of materials per year, where you're looking at doing a, a dry blend of your active pharmaceutical ingredient, your, your key excipients, maybe roller compacting that, maybe doing a wet granulation, and then eventually taking it to your final uh, tabling process and then coating. So if you're dealing with that, if you're dealing with, you know, 100 kilograms an hour to 20 kilograms an hour and producing it for mass, that makes a lot of sense. And that, that process can be developed and, and has been developed in the past. Now, if you're looking at orphan indication, that's an entirely different thing where you're dealing with maybe 100 kilograms a year, maybe 200 kilograms a year of material. So in theory, the large batch processes could do that in four hours. Why not do batch manufacturing for that? Well, the one reason why you don't do batch manufacturing that is on early development. You have small amounts of material on early development, 10, 20 kilograms. So if you're running at 5 to 10 kilograms an hour, you have a lot of process knowledge on that. And you're developing that process knowledge to develop a quality material for the patient. Mm-hmm. So then you, you do continuous manufacturing that. So it's a small continuous manufacturing run of maybe five or six hours, mm-hmm. whereas the larger volume you'd be looking at maybe a week or two weeks of manufacturing time, even up to a month of manufacturing time. So there, there's benefits on both sides. It, it just depends where you see yourself in the cost of the, your active pharmaceutical ingredient and the final volume of your product as well. Right. It also struck me coming from a background where I spent a lot of time with synthetic chemists. There's new types of synthetic steps and roots that also become accessible may not be necessarily relevant in a pharmaceutical context yet, but for example, photochemistry is one type of technique that historically you really can't do in batch for a lot of obvious reasons. So it certainly seems that continuous opens up a whole new set of opportunities. 
It but, really does. It's if you're looking at it, especially energetic chemistry as well, mm-hmm. where you can't do say a thousand liters of an energetic chemistry mm-hmm. in, in batch mode because right. you have the uh, the issue of uh, potential plant explosion. <laughs> and when you're doing small issue, exactly yeah. when you're dealing with it like milliliters or you know a couple liters at a time, you really can contain that. And I've actually yeah. been dealing with a lot of small companies right now looking at developing continuous manufacturing for energetic chemistry. And you know they haven't quite looked at photochemistry yet, but that's definitely an application. So you know, Don, I'm curious from your perspective as you sort of see the land landscape of manufacturing, especially from the CDMO angle, right? Given your experience at Juniper, how are you seeing continuous as an example, start to change the game from a customer value standpoint and from a patient value standpoint overall? What are some of the benefits you're seeing that these sort of new techniques bring to the forefront when it comes to say initiating a clinical trial or bringing commercial product to the market? Yeah, sure. I, I think early on, I was very much in the mindset that this was absolutely geared towards that large, you know, manufacturing campaign that you could then do continuous and see all kinds of synergies and everything else. And sitting down with a a very high-valued VP of CMC, he really brought to my attention the value of that low scale. When you have a a compound that is worth $4.5 million a kg, he basically really proved the case that it made sense in small scale as well, Mm -hmm. which gives tremendous flexibility, especially in the Boston area, where there is a lot of these orphan-type compounds where the blockbusters are, you know, not necessarily gone, but they're becoming rare. It's the orphans that are becoming a lot more popular and there is a place for it. And, you know, his justification was, I want to be able to stop the process when we're, you know, with real PAT in play at any point. And I don't want to lose, you know, this, this highly valued compound. It's not only a money thing. And it really isn't a money. It was never presented as that. Yep. Although that is the reality. Yep. His point was, is this is a nine to 12 month delay in getting product to patients in clinical trials. That really is the key. So it sounds like there's definitely an aspect of capacity and, and planning and, yes. and execution. But I'm curious, one of the comments that Kevin had made earlier was that there is this ability also to turn off or switch. How does that play into the mix uh, of what you're seeing from a contract manufacturing standpoint? You know, it's a, a little bit like pharma. We're a little slow to change. I can I can only use the example of, of Juniper when I started with them. They were very, you know, they, they touted themselves to be a very broad range of capabilities by way of analytical into manufacturing. And when I really looked at that, they were absolute experts in the analytical space, advanced characterization, mm-hmm. understanding where things went wrong in molecule development element as well as the manufacturing and also on the IP side as it relates to you know patent infringement and whatnot they were absolute global leaders mm-hmm. uh, and in the courts you know often but when you looked at their manufacturing you know they were they were a lot more conservative and very slow to adopt some of these new techniques so one of the things that as a senior person you know moving on to that team I challenged was why are we not doing more of this and it was not only the right thing from I think, you know, what, what people were looking for, they were looking for this investment in the, these specific areas, you know, that, that's customers and people at large, but also for the company itself, their, their average sale was significantly lower than what it could have been. Mm-hmm. So analytical, just as you know, it can be a bit of a rat in a wheel, constantly, you know, taking samples, analyzing samples, so on and so forth. You know, bringing in advanced manufacturing had a true business case, and it changed the complete dynamics of our company in mm-hmm. a very real way, in a very quick way. You mm-hmm. know, from a $4 million company in year one to a plus $30 million company in year three, mm-hmm. you know, kind of three and a half years is significant. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with that, it seems like from 
both your perspectives. You've worked obviously in, in different aspects of the life sciences ecosystem. I'm curious how you've experienced this process of change management and introduction of new innovation in those sorts of entities. What are some of the best practices you've seen, whether it's a pharmaceutical company or a CDMO, in order to bring these sort of new technologies and new processes to the forefront? Yeah. The first thing I noticed is every, all scientists love science, cool problems, solving things, continuous manufacturing is the, the shiny bobble, I like to call it, or whatever <laughs> it is, the, the, the next shiny bobble. And scientists will glam onto it and, and be able to solve the problem and implement it. But the, the, the key for implementation, it's not only scientific understanding, which is number one, but number two, and a close number two, if not a co-number one, is what's the financial justification for that? How can you justify this to your CFO? What business case is this providing? Is it providing a business case? Am I saving money on manufacturing or development? Am I providing a better quality product to the patient? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're looking for. And providing a better quality product to the patient will save you money at the end of the day as well. So it's providing the entire justification, not just the scientific justification. When I was at Vertex, I helped bring in continuous manufacturing. And I looked at it from both a scientific way, which it took me about a year, year and a half to justify it scientifically. Because real-time measurement and PAT wasn't at the point where we believed it was real-time measurement. So we spent a year to a year and a half looking at, can we blend the material and can we actually measure it? For that to make sure we had a good blended material and a high quality product. Then after that, while I was doing that, I was looking at what's the financial justification associated with it. And at that time, Vertex was uh, big into hepatitis C and cystic fibrosis. So we looked at our current pipeline. So where would this fit within our current pipeline and how would this financially justify it? Because at that point, not many people, I think no one actually had brought a continuous manufacturing through the FDA for approval. So it would have been a big step for us to do it. And we had to have both the scientific quality and financial justification to do it. And after going through the financial justification, we saw benefits in the speed of development and in the, the final cost of manufacturing goods. So mm -hmm. Everyone believed it was like a, a two-month project that I did this whole financial technical justification two months. But in reality, it took a year and a half of due diligence before it was brought up to a, a senior management team. And mm -hmm. within the, the senior management team, we had a very fast approval to move forward with uh, continuous manufacturing. Oftentimes, it was, I was using the client uh, that was <laughs> absolutely in need. And, and really, we let need drive a lot of what we invested in. So whether it was scale up, larger scale spray drying manufacturing, um, bringing in, you know, compaction uh, simulation, all those, you know, kind of advancements, a lot of it was led by the, the voice of the customer. But mm -hmm. we were very quick, you know, to have growth as, as quick as we did. I think it gives, you know, gives sign that we did listen and we did respond. And then really that nimbleness is, is what set us apart. And you don't necessarily see that, not at the larger scale. Mm -hmm. It's being able to understand today what is the challenge and respond appropriately, but very, very quickly. Yeah, no, and to comment on uh, what Don said is, I've partnered a lot with contract manufacturers uh, where we needed a different innovation in. All the companies I've worked with have never had manufacturing facilities on site except for Perigo. But all the smaller ones in Boston is we rely on contract manufacturers and we want to bring innovations in. So it's finding that contract manufacturer that's willing to have the foresight into that innovation and bringing it in. And it's finding the right management team associated with that from both sides that are willing to work together because that's not an easy process. Bringing in early on spray dry manufacturing, early on continuous manufacturing, there's a lot of bumps in the roads. Um, <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's a marriage and marriages are never always smooth. Yeah. Um, they're mostly successful at the end <laughs> of the day. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's getting together, fighting through the bumps of the roads and, and having that successful implementation. And both of you have to win at the end of the day. And, um, a good partnership has that. So, you know, given your experiences now, both in the context of advanced manufacturing, bring innovation inside companies. I know you guys are pioneering a, a new set of forums and, and opportunities to discuss these sort of topics. We'd love to learn a little bit about advancing drug development and its focus. Advancing drug development. It was uh, Don and I and a person named Shelley Amster helped to develop this about three years ago. And I, I got involved because I've always brought in different innovations from uh, Perigo, the, the first real-time measurement, uh, Vertex, continuous manufacturing, and compaction simulation is, and what else is out there? And I look at it from a consultant. I'm, you know, I'm helping people bring these innovations in, but I want to learn what the new innovations are. I want to know what the universities are doing. That's something that's 10 years ahead of time. Continuous manufacturing really started at Rutgers University is one of the key points back in the early 2000s, and it didn't get implemented until 10, 15 years later. So we're looking at bringing in what are the next innovations and looking at best practices and how to bring those innovations in. So the goal of the conference is to have these forefront leaders and generally it's small, medium sized biotech companies, pharma companies in Boston. And we're looking at the people who've done it and, and want to do it in the future. So it's a pretty exciting conference. It's December 12th this year. Um, it's in Boston. And I guess, you know, I was, as one of the founders, my push was actually being a part of another process or another conference, which was run by MassBio. And although highly successful and 400 plus people attending, this was the uh, CDMO symposium. One of the subject areas was on advanced manufacturing. And it was probably the most poorly attended section of that entire conference. And I kind of stepped back, being in the field of advanced manufacturing, mm -hmm. kind of stepped back and said, what are we doing wrong here? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and upon analysis, maybe it was a bit of a, a more younger group. Um, may not have been as involved in those kinds of decisions, you know, those critical decisions early on. Do I go more traditional or do I take the chance? And we realized it was probably the wrong audience. So which led us to really going after, you know, C-level types of individuals that are ultimately accountable. These are the things that keep them up at night. These are the critical decisions that they have to make and then stand by. And I wanted to start that dialogue because we weren't talking about it as a group. You know, we're almost fearful in, in some cases. You, you would mention spray drying to, to some individuals, you know, early on to say, are you considering this? And they would say, well, that's a last resort. And sometimes by the time you rule out that that's or rule in that type of manufacturing, it's almost too late from a manufacturing problem. You've already committed yourself to other techniques that were less efficient, less effective. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea is to create not only this dialogue, but create some comfort around that others have tried this and been very successful. And what are some of the topics that, you know, you guys are looking to review? Obviously, advancing drug development is a pretty broad umbrella within which you can talk about some really exciting things. What are the ones that are sort of top of mind for you guys? Yeah, we're looking at uh, blood-brain barrier and how to get through that and uh, some innovations in that. We're looking at building teams, uh, how to actually build an innovative team to actually implement your innovations. And that is key. It's like your team is core to actually bringing your innovations in as well. We're looking at data. There's an enormous amount of data in there and really how to use your data to maximize your efficiency in bringing your drug to market. Because at the end of the day, you have to gather all this data, collect it, and put it into a new drug application. 
And if you analyze your data properly, you'll know exactly where your weaknesses are and be able to predict them and overcome them before you even submit. There's generally only one PowerPoint presentation in the entire day. Mm -hmm. What we really try to drive is dialogue amongst the group. Mm -hmm. A lot of interaction with the audience, a lot of back and forth. Sometimes we all agree. At times we don't agree. And that's the beautiful part of this. It really tries to get people to kind of open up and, and share what's working for them. What are their challenges? How, how can we help as a community? Absolutely. And, and having attended the forum in the past, I've always been impressed by both the close-knitted nature of the conference and the interactions that you have, as opposed to some big, expansive conference venue, right? It's a fairly intimate opportunity to interact with everyone from the founder and COO of Tesaro, I believe, spoke last year, to you know folks on the CDMO side, to individual contributors in, in the life sciences ecosystem. So I think it's a really great opportunity to be able to review some of these topics, especially those that are current with uh, modern challenges. And Biotech 2050 also is really excited, and this is a plug for both the forum and us, to be able to participate in the opening event, which unlike, I guess, most forums, you guys are also innovating on, on, the, on the format, where we're actually going to be doing with a top-notch local speaker in the biotech community, a Biotech 2050 opening interview where we'll be able to speak to them about teams, innovation, culture uh, as well. So really excited to both support as well as innovate on the way conferences are held as well. Yeah, no, Jeff uh, Sabados is uh, pretty excited for the interview. Uh, innovated on uh, a couple new companies he's uh, started and co-founded. He's now looking for his latest company um, as well. He's a, a former Navy SEAL, and he, he brings that experience to it and really how to build a team together because a Navy SEAL team, as everyone probably knows, has to be the most coordinated team in the world to do what they need to do. Well, Kevin and Don, really appreciate you guys being on the on the show today. Great learning a little bit about advanced manufacturing, some of the new innovations, as well as thinking about more than just the technology. How do we start to transfect, if you will, that technology into a company and how that's now translated into a new passion project for you all, which is Advancing Drug Development Forum. So looking forward to having you guys uh, again on the show soon. Thank you very Thank you. much, Alok. And uh, just for reference, it's advdrug.com to register. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Alok Tai. It's produced by Jean Merlin, edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech 2050 Pod. Until next time.